Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Words to Live By series, which is taken from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Man, why don't you take your Bible today and go ahead and turn to Matthew 5, and you can be seated. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 this morning, and we are in a series right now studying out um, the series title is Words to Live By, and there's so many different voices screaming for our attention and uh, wondering, who do we listen to? Uh, Who do we allow to have entrance into our life? Who do we work to build our lives upon? And uh, so we've been in this short series, just a few weeks that we've been in this, uh, studying the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this uh, famous sermon, of course, that Jesus spoke to his disciples right there uh, just to the west of the Sea of Galilee and been in the area. What a beautiful area it is. And I've been to this point where this picture was taken as you just look out to the Sea of Galilee and you look down uh, to this natural amphitheater where Jesus would have spoken these words. And the Bible teaches that there were, uh, of course, him and his uh, 12 disciples or apostles that we would call them. And then there were many other followers that would be there on this day. But by the time we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we realize in Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 28 and 29, I believe, the Bible teaches that there were multitudes of people there and that they were astonished at his doctrine. Man, they stood back and said, wow, what an amazing message. Wow, I can't believe that, that somebody could speak words like these. And so there were literally probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of people there on this day to hear Jesus speak this Sermon on the Mount, the longest recorded message that we have along with John chapter 15 through 17, the words of Christ right before the cross. And It was here in this passage, the end of the passage is where we started, Matthew 7, where Jesus said, if if you will build your life, if you'll build your life upon my words, I promise you, you will be likened unto a wise man who's built his house upon the rocks. And you've had a solid foundation. You'll be secure. You'll be stable. You're going to have trials. The winds and the storms, they are going to come, but the house will stand. The life will stay firm and secure. But the contrary is also true, that if I fail to build my life upon the words of Christ, Jesus said, I will liken you unto a foolish man. And that foolish man has built his house upon the sand. And when the storms come and the wind and the rain, that house will fall. And then he said this, and great will be the fall of it. And so we were challenged a few weeks ago to build our lives upon the words of God, to have his words to live by. We've learned a number of things so far. The first week we learned that the first uh, or the second message we learned that if we're going to build our lives upon his word, we got to understand that we can have real divine joy and real happiness, but it only comes as we stay close to him. Man, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that uh, hunger and uh, uh, thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And he went through the Beatitudes, the Greek word beatus, where we get our word uh, or our phrase divine joy. He said, hey, divine joy can belong to you. Just stay close to me. Last week, we understood kind of a, the, the title of the message was a pep talk from Christ. Because he looked at his disciples, he said, I want to show you something. Number one, you are salt, you're valuable. Number two, you are light, you are effective. But number three, you're responsible. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Saying, hey, every one of you have an opportunity to influence people around you. And you're going, if, you'll, if you're going to build your life upon me, you've got to understand, I want to use you to affect the lives of others. You're valuable. You can affect them, and you're responsible with that truth. This week, we're coming to a rather lengthy portion of Scripture. We are going to read all of it here in just a minute. But before we get to it, I just want to ask you if you've ever been told by anybody to grow up. You ever been told that? You You just need to grow up. If you have a sibling, you've been told that. I can guarantee it, whether they were older than you or younger than you. Listen, if you're married, you've probably been told that, especially us men. We lack in maturity sometimes. 
When somebody says, you just need to grow up, what are they saying? They're saying, hey, you need to mature up a little bit. Hey, you need to grow in your maturity. All of us know this to be true. Just because someone grows in age doesn't mean they grow in maturity, does it? We've all met people who were older and supposed to be mature, but acting like children. And I've also met children who are supposed to be immature and yet have some maturity about them. Uh, Here's the question I ask, though. What is it? What is it that helps somebody be mature? I mean, what is maturity? If maturity doesn't come with age, what does it come with? I believe that maturity comes with knowledge. As you gain in knowledge and maybe those social skills, understanding people or how to speak or when to let something die down, when not to cross that line or hop that fence, so to speak, when not to say those words, all of that comes with knowledge. And the Bible actually tells us in the book of Proverbs that maturity, really the word for it is prudence, being prudent. What is that? That's knowledge and action. It's knowing how to take the knowledge I have and put it into action. You and I would both agree that every single person should mature socially. We should mature emotionally. We should mature in how we engage in people and and all of those dynamics. But I want to point out a very simple truth today, and that's this. That every single person should have a desire to mature in Christ. Every single person, once you trust Christ as your Savior, if there's been a time in your life when you put your faith and your hope completely in Him, not in a church, not in baptism, not in your works, not in any sort of religious tradition, and we'll see that today, when you put your faith completely in Christ, there should be a desire within you that says, I don't want to stay here. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to just stay. I want to grow. It's like every single 12-year-old. How old does every 12-year-old want to be? 13. How old does every 13-year-old want to be? 16. How old does every 16-year-old want to be? 18 or 21. How old does every 21-year-old want to be? Man, I want to be 25. How old 25? I want to be 30. How old does every 30-year-old want to be? 18. Right? It's cyclical. You're just like, I don't like my age. I want their age. Listen, when we're younger, we just can't wait to get older. The same thing applies to us spiritually speaking. In Christ, every single one of us should have a desire to get older, to grow in him. Today, we're going to come to this portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 48. And we're going to discover Jesus teaching a number of truths, but I've brought them down to two simple thoughts. Two simple thoughts today that will help you and me mature in God. If you want to grow in the Lord today, I invite you to pay attention, tune in, and let God speak to your heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 17. Stand with me if you would. We're just going to read a few verses to get started. Matthew chapter 5. And verse number 17, Jesus, again, he's speaking these words. And he says, think not, hey, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The word fulfill means to complete, to fill up to its full capacity. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, Uh, Still heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled, all be completed. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, what a verse. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed, that means surpass, go beyond the righteousness of the scribes, those who knew the law and knew the word of God like the back of their hand, 
Though your righteousness should exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, those who were the quote-unquote religious leaders, your righteousness needs to surpass theirs. Otherwise, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Man, your righteousness needs to be better than the person who knows the word of God the most and the Pharisees, those who think they apply it the best. You need to be more righteous than them. Wow, that's uh, pretty impossible, isn't it? Notice a couple verses with me. I just wanna highlight them so we can kind of be on the same page. Verse 21, the first part of it, Jesus said these words. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. Stop there. You're gonna hear that multiple times through this. Hey, you've heard it said this way, verse 22, notice the first five words, but I say unto you. So Jesus is gonna say to them, hey, you've heard one thing, let me tell you what I think. Now skip all the way down to verse number 48. Verse 48 says this, Jesus speaking, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, if you and I were to just give this a face value reading, that's a very intimidating verse. But let me tell you real quick, that word perfect right here, it just means fully mature. Hey, be mature like your heavenly father is. Be fully mature like he is. All of the words that Jesus speaks from Matthew 5.17 to Matthew 5.47 all point to Matthew 5.48. And it's one simple thought, grow in Christ. Hey, grow in me. We're gonna bring that down to two quick things today and I think it'll be a help to us. And so let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time and then we'll get into the word. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute and in the quietness of your heart, would you ask God to speak to you? And you can pray something simple. God, please speak to me. God, please speak to me. And then make the commitment, God, I'm listening to you. As you speak to me today, I'm listening and I'll make a decision on how you speak to us. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the word of God and how you use it to work in our lives. And Father, I'm thankful for the passage before us today. Uh, Lord, I'm challenged every single time I come to these words. And Father, I pray that this morning um, that you would speak to my heart again. I pray that every single person that's here would be challenged by your word, would be encouraged, strengthened. Lord, that we would leave here knowing how we can grow in you even this week. We love you. Pray for those on watching online today, that they'd be challenged and encouraged. And Lord, that you would just continue to work in our church and work in us this morning. I pray, God, also, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their savior, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith in you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we, um, as we find ourselves in Matthew 5 this morning, I want to say I, I don't think I've ever met somebody uh, who truly wanted to stay immature. I, I really don't think I've met somebody. While there are many people who have accomplished that task, I don't think I've met people who had that as their goal. You know, I just want to be immature. But the same is true regarding followers of Jesus Christ. I really haven't met many people who maybe go to church and, and people who call themselves Christians. I haven't met many who just want to stay the same. Every single one of us have a desire, and once you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, there's going to be a desire that says, I just want to know more about him. Uh, man, once you've heard good news, you want to hear more good news, right? I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, I've, I've kind of given up on watching the news frequently. Why? Because I don't hear good news very much. But when I come across a good news story, there's a little rekindled hope in my heart. You know, man, I, maybe I can watch the news again, and then I'm disappointed. Why? Because I want good news. In your life and my life as a, as a follower of Jesus, there's going to be a desire to want to grow in him, to want to mature in him, to want to uh, grow up in the Lord, so to speak. And that's exactly what Jesus addresses in this part of the message, he gives his listeners a few different thoughts that are going to help them mature. And again, two specific lessons this morning that will help you and I mature. And so I want you to notice the very first lesson that Jesus gives is this. You are inadequate, but I am sufficient. 
You are inadequate, but I am sufficient. Notice, if you will, verse number 20. Verse number 20 highlights for us man's inadequacies. Verse 20 of Matthew 5. For I say unto you that except, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now these words, and again, context matters, all right? I want you to, anytime you open up the Bible and go to study the word of God, I want you to remember those two words, context matters. Because the truth is, I was talking with a friend of mine this week, any of us can make the Bible say anything we want it to. But you can't do that within the context of the pages. So context matters. So who is Jesus speaking to? We have to have this in our mind. He's primarily speaking to his followers, okay? These are people who have come to him because since Jesus has started his earthly ministry for probably by this time, probably anywhere from four to seven months in. And Jesus has come on the scene and everything that Jesus has taught has been contradictory to what the Pharisees were teaching. Everything that Jesus taught has been something that has caused him to stand out like a sore thumb. People, Jesus would travel and people were drawn to him because of his words. Why? Because his words were so far out there that people were amazed at it. And again, we'd see that at the end of this message. So context, who's Jesus preaching to? He's preaching to believers, but these believers, they have come to him believing that eternal life is in him, believing that the kingdom of heaven could be theirs if they follow him. And now Jesus gets up and he speaks to him. And he says, hey, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of all these religious leaders that I'm contradicting, you don't get to go to heaven. (laughs) You talk about a needle in a balloon. I can see some of those guys standing there and some of those ladies sitting there and they they all just kind of make that weird face, you know, like, what? They start looking around. Did you? Did you hear that? Maybe Peter is standing there and he's like, ah, Jesus, um, hey, maybe trying to correct him. Thomas is going, man, I can't believe this. I can't believe he would say something like that. And maybe they're going back and forth. But here's what Jesus was trying to get across. He's not trying to help them see that you need to be more righteous. Now, in verse number 20, he's highlighting the impossible. He's highlighting the impossible. Basically, Jesus is saying that you need to be sinless. That's what the words are. You need to be sinless in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You need to be sinless in order to have eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but last time I checked, uh, I wasn't sinless. Why did you say right? My wife just amended me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know what? Every one of us, every single one of us, we are not perfect. We are not sinless. This is what Jesus is highlighting in this verse. Hey, I want to show you man's inadequacies. And he is sharing with them their failure. And their failure is the fact that they will never, they will never exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's helping them to see that the law cannot save them. He's going to proceed to do that, helping them understand they cannot ever uh, fulfill the law. We're going to see Jesus prove this in the preceding verses because he brings out laws or six commands that every one of them had probably failed in. And any person could look at this verse and we would read this verse and we can quickly admit there is no way that I could ever be sinless. I am completely unable to ever exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. I cannot exceed their righteousness. Why? Because that would be perfection and I cannot be perfect. Sinless perfection is what's expected in order to have access to God and no one qualifies. Man's inadequacies. But I want you to see secondly with me this morning, his sufficiency. We're looking at this thought, you are inadequate, but I am sufficient. Notice verse 17, where Jesus gives these words. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to complete. 
the law and the prophets is what those scribes and those Pharisees would look to to find their righteousness in. And his focus here is upon the teachings that have come before them. And he says this statement, I haven't come to destroy that. Many of the Pharisees at that time, they were trying to teach that Jesus was in direct disobedience to the law. As a matter of fact, they said that he didn't respect the Sabbath. They said that Jesus was a liar and they listed out a number of aspects of the law that Jesus broke. They said that he taught contrary to the law. Remember with me, those of you that might know it, Mark chapter 14, before Jesus goes to the cross, Notice what they conjured up. It says the chief priests and all the council sought for witness, testimonies, against Jesus to put him to death. And they found, what's the word? None. They couldn't find anyone. But many, for many, bear false witness against him, but their witnesses, their witness agreed not together. And notice the next verse. It says, and there arose certain and bear false witness. what they do? They lied. They just conjured up lies. Why? They bared false witness against him saying, uh, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple and that is made with hand and within three days I will build an, uh, another made without hands. But neither, did, neither so did their witness agree together. What did they do? They lied and they took the words that Jesus had said and they took them out of context. Remember those two words we should remember when we study the word of God? Context matters. They were taking the words of Jesus, turning them against him to lie about him. This was their MO from the moment they realized they disagreed with Jesus Christ. So they were trying to speak against him that he was a sinner, that he had broken the law, that he had said things that he had not said. So he apparently is not for the law. But Jesus says to these listening to him that to this, on this day, hey, I haven't come to destroy the law. Or the prophets, the prophecies that have been given. No, I have come to complete them. And then he continues. For verily, of a truth, I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, those would be uh, like a period or a semicolon in the English language, and that would be some of their punctuation. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He's saying, hey, listen, everything that's been given, the law and the prophets, it will come true. I didn't come to destroy that which must be completed. I came to fulfill it or to complete it. And by this statement, Jesus is bringing the truth that he, he alone was the fulfillment of all of the law and the prophets. This is why down the road, the Pharisees wanted to kill him even more is some of the teachings that he had right here in Matthew chapter number five. Because Jesus often compared himself to God, making himself equal with God, saying he was the son of God. And that was blasphemy to them. But all of this is pointing to the truth that Jesus fulfills, completes all of the law and the prophets. Note this, everything in the Old Testament, you know who it points to? Jesus. Every single thing, every story, every page, every word, it points to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. It looks forward to him and the New Testament highlights who he was and from Acts on, it looks back at what he did and why he did it. Everything in that book that you hold in your lap or that you have on your phone or your iPad or that you're just, uh, you have so memorized that you don't bring to church and so you just go with it. Uh, Whatever it is, that word of God, every single thing about it, it's about Jesus. And that's what he's saying on this day. Listen, I've fulfilled all of them. I want you to think with me very quickly. How does Jesus complete or fulfill the law? I want you to know he fulfilled the law physically. Physically, he is the only person to remain sinless in his body. He's the only one. The Bible says that he knew no sin and yet he became sin for us uh, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He fulfilled it physically. He fulfilled the law sacrificially. The law cries out that in order to be reconciled to God, it requires a perfect sacrifice. Well, Jesus came as that perfect sacrifice to give his life for the sins of the world. He fulfilled it physically. He fulfilled it sacrificially. He fulfills the law judicially. Judicially, the law says every human being is brought into condemnation before God, but because of his sacrifice, because of Jesus' sacrifice, The law is fulfilled and God as judge is completely satisfied. 
That's why we can go to Romans chapter eight and verse number one and read that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Man, Jesus Christ stands in your stead. And if you have found Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and your trust in him, you need to know this morning that the law cannot condemn you because you are perfect in Christ. You know what Jesus is pointing out? Hey, you are insufficient. You are inadequate, but I am sufficient. I came to complete it. And then he says those words. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed, surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's going, hey, if you are going to uh, go by the law as the judge, then you have to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees is impossible. You cannot complete that, but I can. I fulfilled it. I completed it. You can't defeat the law, but I'm going to. And I want us to know this morning that no person is good enough to obtain the righteousness of God. We must have Jesus Christ in our place. That is exactly and precisely why Jesus came. Most people think, well, if I can keep the law, if I can be good enough, then I can go to heaven. My friend, can I tell you today that your good works can never bring you before God? Well, if I go to church, you know, I've heard church is a good thing. And, and pastor, you even, you even told me to be at church. You, I remember you preached a message to be at church. I tell you, you're supposed to, we should be at church. Church helps us and it brings fellowship and it brings growth and it's encouraging. And those of us that were around uh, back when we weren't having church for a little bit of time now recall that misery of not being able to fellowship. And I say it because we need church, but church can't get you to heaven. <coughs> I think baptism, I think baptism is a great step to identify with Jesus, to say, hey, I'm serious about this. As a matter of fact, the word of God teaches about baptism, that once someone trusts Christ as Savior, they should get baptized. But can I tell you this morning, baptism has no part in your acceptance with God. Baptism cannot get you to heaven. It cannot save. No, you know what you and I need? Only Jesus. It is Jesus plus nothing. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me, except through me. You know, Jesus is helping them understand on this day, hey, you are inadequate, but I am sufficient. Can I just pause for a moment and ask you today, do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is in your life? Are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? You say, well, yeah, I've, I've grown up a Christian. No, 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 no. Your heritage can't get you to heaven. Oh, but I was born into a Christian family. Your birth, your physical birth cannot get you into heaven. No, the only way that you and I can have the kingdom of heaven, the only way that we can spend eternal life with him, the only way that we can have access to God is if there has been a time in our life where we put our faith and our trust completely in him, where we said, I believe in the death the burial and the resurrection, that Jesus Christ is the son of God sent down as a perfect sacrifice to die for me and I put my faith solely upon him. That is the only way that you and I can have eternal life. Why? Because we are inadequate, but he is sufficient. Hey, if you wanna mature and grow in your Christian life, always come back to that truth. He is inadequate. Or excuse me, I am inadequate. (laughs) He by me is what I was thinking. Uh, I am inadequate but he is sufficient. Listen, if, if you wanna grow in your Christian life, I, I, can't, I have nothing to offer and he is everything. Because even after we trust Christ as savior, we still need to realize every day, I have nothing to offer, but he has everything for me. As a matter of fact, Paul said it this way in the book of Colossians, that in him, we find everything we need. Everything we need. The peace that we search for, the joy that we search for, the forgiveness that we search for, the strength that we search for, the comfort that we search for. Can I tell you again where it is? It's all in him. Because I am inadequate, but he, he is sufficient. I want you to see the second thought this morning that Jesus brings out to them, and it's this. Your tradition is flawed because I want your heart. A simple thought. Your tradition is flawed because I want your heart. We're gonna see this in verse 21 down through verse number 47. 
And as we go through these verses, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of highlight a thought as we go through them. But before we get to them, these are six different commands that all of these apostles, as well as anybody else listening and anybody with that Jewish heritage would know exactly what Jesus is speaking to in all of these verses. And we're going to see here these statements that I brought out in verse 21 and 22 when we read at the beginning, where Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. In every one of these, he says a similar statement to that. You have heard that it was said, or in in recent days it has been, you have heard that it has been taught. And then he'll give them a statement. And then he'll make this statement, but I say unto you. And what he gives takes the lesson they know and brings it Every single time, it brings it all the way back to the heart of a person. And one of the things that Jesus is doing here is getting them to the place where they recognize that it is not about fulfilling the law. It's not about keeping with religious traditions. It's about a heart that is seeking God. And before I even get further in this, can I just tell you that too many Christians lose sight of this as we, as we mature, as we uh, continue, I'll use that word, as we continue in our Christian life, we lose sight of this truth. Because of a, lot of, a lot of Christians think that their Christianity, once you get saved, once you trust Christ, is based upon what you do and how you perform for God. And I wanna tell you today that that is a lie. And that the devil uses that to destroy a lot of believers. Because if you miss anything, get this thought. Jesus is interested in the heart. Externals matter. How we live matters. How we speak matters. How we go through our life matters. You are salt, you are light. We saw that last week. But Jesus brings it back down to say, you can't be salt and you can't be light if I don't own your heart. You can go to church all you want, but if you miss this point, you miss it. You can try to fulfill the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees all you want, but if you miss this point, you miss it because Jesus is interested in what? The heart. Jesus is interested in what? He's interested in your heart. Notice how Jesus teaches these on this day. Well, actually, I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to read you two verses that Jesus taught this truth with in Matthew 15. He said this. Speaking of the Pharisees and scribes, he said, This people, they draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but, notice what he said, their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Hey, they're taking all of these external principles And they're saying, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then you're not a follower of God. And we see that today. People saying that if you don't fulfill this part of the law, then you're not a follower of God. If you you can't do X, Y, and Z of tradition, then you're not a follower of God. And can I tell you this morning, all of that is not true. God says, I'm interested. I'm interested in the heart. And so he's gonna come and he's gonna teach them in our passage before us, this truth that we need to have a heart that is seeking him. Notice how he uses these six things. Look with me at verse number 20, 21. The verses won't be on the screen. I'm just gonna cruise through them and bring out a principle. Verse 21, Jesus said, hey, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. All right, we all would agree. Don't kill someone, I think. Are we good in here? All right, just, just check it, all right? Uh, we all would agree with that, but notice what Jesus says. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say unto his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the counsel, Raka, to curse. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, 
shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verse number 26, verily I say unto you, thou shalt by no means come out thence for thou Thou hast uh, till thou hast paid unto till hast that thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. And you say, Pastor, it's a lot of things going on here. What is Jesus teaching in Matthew five twenty one through twenty six? He's teaching this: keep your heart from hatred, and keep your heart from bitterness. Hey, you've heard it said, don't kill somebody. I say to you, don't even hate someone within your heart. Hey, you've heard it said that if someone does you, uh, mis- mistreats you, that they need to apply, it's their fault. But I say to you, don't let your heart get bitter. If, someone, if you come and you're gonna offer, an al- or offer a sacrifice at the altar, hey, if you come to bring an offering to the Lord, this again, he's teaching to these Jewish guys who have been practicing Judaism for all these years. He's using something within the context of their lives. And he says, hey, if you're ever gonna give a sacrifice, you wanna dedicate something to the Lord and you come to mind, oh, you know what? I offended so-and-so or so-and-so offended me. Leave your, alt- leave your gift there and-, and go and reconcile that. What's he talking about? Bitterness and forgiveness. But where does that come from? It comes from the heart. Hey, keep your heart from hatred and keep it from bitterness. I just feel led to stop right here for a moment. We're going to talk about forgiveness in just a second, but I want to tell you something. Too many Christians allow bitterness to hinder their influence and their lives for the Lord. And I want to, I want to let you know this, that God is not pleased by that. And we allow something that someone said or something that that family member did or something that that uh, whatever did years ago, we allow that to affect us today. And can I encourage you that God desires that you and I would forgive and move on. It doesn't mean we let them back in our sphere of influence. It doesn't mean we let them back in our sphere of trust. I mean, someone, listen, someone could have hurt you immensely. And there are people in this room uh, that I know, and I'm not trying to to shame anything or call it any situation. There are people who have hurt you and and maybe uh, in, in deep ways that we wouldn't even talk about in a group like this. Can I just help you understand today that God's desire is that you and I would put aside bitterness. Why? Because he says in the book of Hebrews, lest any root of bitterness, uh, lest any bitterness taking root in you and many will be deceived or defiled thereby. Hey, root. Uh, bitterness, it ruins lives. But Jesus, he brings restoration and forgiveness. And some of you today, you need to call somebody that maybe you haven't talked to for a while, that you've been frustrated with. You need to call them and say, hey, I'm sorry, I forgive you. But can I tell you, bitterness or forgiveness isn't a one-time choice. It's an every-time choice, and I hate that. (laughs) Because I want to be like, I forgive you for being a jerk to me and just move on, you know? And then like, I forgave him. But you know what I need to do next time I think about it? Lord, I forgave him. I'm not gonna hold them accountable. You know, true forgiveness says I release, I release any right I have to get even. That's true forgiveness. I release any right I have to get even. Do you know where all of that comes from? It only comes from a heart that's walking with Jesus. So what's Jesus getting at? Hey, try to, try to exceed the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Impossible. Why? Because I just want your heart. And what does he want from our heart? He wants us, number one, to keep our heart from hatred, keep it from bitterness. Are you still with me this morning? Notice the next thing he says. Verses 27 through 30, he says, I want you to keep your heart pure. Notice Verse 27, you have heard, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it off from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. In all of these verses, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, hey, you need to remember to keep your heart 
pure. Your law, your tradition says don't commit adultery. Don't have any physical relationship outside of the marriage. Uh, Before marriage or after marriage, don't have any uh, relationship outside of that. That's what law says. And we all would say, well, yeah, that's a correct statement. But Jesus says, I take it further. Keep your heart from even lusting. Keep your heart from lusting. Your law says just don't touch. I say don't lust. Your law says external. I say give me your heart. Keep your heart pure. If your eye offends you, man, if there's there's a single part of you that is drawn that way, man, cut it off, cut it out. As he's saying to them, literally, physically, cut it out. I mean, maybe you need to do that, but I don't want to. You know what I want to do? I want to die to self. I want to allow my hands and my eyes and my mind to be something that is driven to purity for God. That's what he's speaking about. Hey, keep your heart. You've heard it said external, external, external. I say heart, heart, heart. Notice what else he says, verse 31. Verse 31, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again, ye have heard, it, uh, heard that it hath been said of them of old, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is his city of the, the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair black, white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is, uh, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Jesus, in these verses, he highlights divorce, and then he highlights this idea of keeping your word, making a promise, let your words be yea, yea, nay, nay, saying a promise and keeping it, not giving a promise, not having to keep it. What's he teaching in these words? Hey, keep your heart honest and committed. Why would he teach this? Context matters. The law under Moses, and you can go and you can look all of these things up, but Moses had told the children of Israel, again, he's speaking to the majority of Jews right there. He had told them, hey, Moses had said, you can get divorced for anything. Listen to this verse, Deuteronomy 24.1. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. Hey, if you get married and you're not compatible, just kick her out. That's what's there. Listen, this is in the Bible. I, I, I read that sometimes and I'm like, what was Moses doing? He was giving them that and later you find out it was because of the hardness of their heart. That's why God, Jesus would say later, Moses told you that because of the hardness of your heart. You know what Jesus says about marriage? He says, it's a blessed thing. And what God hath put asunder, what God hath put together, let not man put asunder. You know what that means? That means it's God's desire that once we make that commitment, we keep it. Now, are there times when divorce happens? Yes. And there are, people, many, there are many great people in here who have been divorced. Can I tell you right now, I'm not talking about the past. I'm talking about the future. Because from here on out, you can say, you know what, I'm gonna keep my commitment. And he says, except for fornication, except for adultery, when someone cheats on somebody, there's, there's a reason right there that Jesus says, hey, if they've done that, then there's some, there's some possibilities of you stepping through that divorce. But divorce, Jesus says this, staying married is always best. Maybe a couple needs to get separated because there's some emotional or physical abuse taking place. Listen, I'm all for that. Getting separated for a time being to, for the purpose of reconciliation because that's Jesus. But what is he getting at? Is he just addressing the external of divorce and marriage? No. 
Verse 37, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Hey, keep your heart honest and committed. Keep your heart honest and committed. Hey, how do you keep commitments? Within your heart. Verses 38 through 40, Jesus talks about keeping your heart ready to forgive. Keeping your heart ready to forgive. Notice, if you will, verse, um, where did we stop? We stopped at 38. Yeah, thank you. It's right there on the screen. Uh, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Man, Jesus is saying this, hey, if someone takes advantage of you, be ready to forgive them. If someone, if they, if someone smites you on the cheek, you turn the other side, you missed a side, you know? If someone sues you for your, for your coat, give them your shirt as well. Now, you and I look at this and we read that and we think, this is preposterous. Why would anybody, can you imagine what they were thinking on this day? These, these uh, uh, disciples, these followers who had been raised in Judaism, they're thinking, that is impossible. Jesus is saying, you're right. So give me your heart because I can work on the heart. And once I change you on the inside, it's gonna show up on the outside. Verses 41 through 42, Jesus says this, keep your heart ready to sacrifice. Ready to sacrifice, ready to give and serve others. Notice what he says, verse 41, and whosoever shall command thee to go a mile, go with him to twain, and give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. What is Jesus getting at? Well, in the culture, the Roman soldiers had the right at any time to walk up to a Jewish person and say, carry my stuff, and they had to carry it one mile. And Jesus says, hey, if that happens to you, I tell you, you, you've heard it said, go one mile. I say, go two. Be ready to give up your rights and serve somebody else. Be ready to sacrifice. And I meant to put on, or I should have put on there. Be ready to sacrifice and serve. That's what he's given them. Hey, keep your heart ready to sacrifice and ready to serve. You know what that helps me see? This life isn't just about me. All of us, are, we keep our heart ready to be sacrificed for and served, right? We want life to be about us. And here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, your heart should focus outside of you. Ready to sacrifice, ready to serve. Verse 43 through 47, Jesus teaches to keep your heart loving others. It says, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh his son uh, to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain to the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if, if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Those people, the tax collectors that they saw as the low end of the spectrum, he says, hey, they love people that are kind to them. You need to love people even when they're unkind to you. What is this? Keep your heart available to love anybody. Just keep your heart loving people. <clears throat> when you and I look at this, we need to recognize today that Christ, he does not just want a bunch of religious actions or traditions. Your tradition, he says to them, it's flawed. It says one thing, but I want the heart. Their tradition said, follow the law and find acceptance with God, but they, like many today, missed it. You see, the law and all of the Old Testament, it points to our need for Christ and his desire for our heart. Even Jesus, even God's relationship with Israel in the Old Testament was about Israel giving God their heart. Don't just give God your religious time. Give him your heart. Understand the law, it can't bring you peace. Only Jesus can when you give him your heart. Don't just live a life that goes through ritual, religious ritualism. Let what you do flow from the heart. Ephesians 6, Paul said, not with eye service as men pleasers, 
but as the servants of, of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Isaiah 29, 13, God said, wherefore, uh, it says, wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Hey, fear God because I said so. That's what that last phrase is. He's saying, no, you've removed yourself from me because you've taken your heart away from following me. Two lessons this morning that'll help us mature in Christ. Number one, you're inadequate, but he is sufficient. Number two, your tradition, it's flawed because he wants our heart. Notice how he wraps it up and we're done. Verse 48, be ye therefore, Therefore, you look back and you see what it's there for. Why is it here? He's connecting the thoughts. Hey, everything I've given you points to this one thing. Be fully mature. Be perfect. Even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. This word, of course, it ties to, the word therefore ties to all the preceding verses. And he's saying, hey, because of what I told you, because of this, you can be fully mature. You can mature in him. How do, I, how do I mature in him? Realize you're inadequate, he's sufficient. Realize tradition is flawed because he wants the heart. You know, I know a lot of Christians who don't mature in their, in their life with the Lord. And sadly, there are times in life when you and I, we don't mature in the Lord. And I say today, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, then would you let these lessons help you grow this week. This week, give him your heart. Don't fulfill or live out religious duty. Follow him with your heart. This week, don't just get up and read the Bible because it's kind of expected of you. No, this week, get up and seek the one who loves you in his word. This week, don't go about trying to encourage others because if you don't, then someone might think bad of you. This week, go about encouraging others because God has encouraged your heart. This week, someone might offend you. Be ready to forgive. This week, bitterness might climb up inside of you and say, oh, why don't you? This week, you need to dismiss it. How do we do all these things? Give him our heart. I wanna ask you this morning, does he have your heart? If you know Christ as your savior, I hope that your decision today would be, God, I'm not gonna live out tradition. I'm gonna follow you with my heart. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.